This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's great to be with you each week as we continue to explore together the amazing ways that God has worked in and through the lives of so many men and women. It really is a privilege through many of the conversations on this show to get a front seat to the movement of the Holy Spirit in our world. And it's humbling and inspiring, really, to hear of the power of God's grace and mercy. You know, with each story and journey that is shared here and elsewhere on Catholic Radio, we're reminded that grace is not just a theory and mercy is not abstract. These are concrete realities, even if, of course, there is a a deeply mysterious dimension to how God operates. Because as we're reminded, His ways are not our ways. And that's probably a good thing because frankly, if we were managing things according to our ways, we'd never get ourselves out of the mess we've made. Um, My guest this week, Jamie Stewart-Wolf, describes her own journey of conversion through God's grace and how she really came full circle back to where she'd been baptized back to the Catholic Church after years of attending other churches and making her way through different worldviews and philosophies. And one of the pivotal moments in her journey was an assignment she was given to read a document from Vatican II. That document was called Lumen Gentium and is the dogmatic constitution of the Church, um, dated from November 1964. Now, there's a lot that is covered in this document, but I wanted to highlight one paragraph in particular because it connects very nicely to the focus of this show, which is evangelization. So here's what the text says. The church has received this solemn mandate of Christ to proclaim the saving truth from the apostles and must carry it out to the very ends of the earth. Wherefore she makes the words of the apostle her own, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, and continues unceasingly to send heralds of the gospel until such time as the infant churches are fully established and can themselves continue the work of evangelizing. For the church is compelled by the Holy Spirit to do her part, that God's plan may be fully realized whereby he has constituted Christ as the source of salvation for the whole world. By the proclamation of the gospel, she prepares her hearers to receive and profess the faith. She gives them the dispositions necessary for baptism, snatches them from the slavery of error and of idols, and incorporates them in Christ so that through charity they may grow up into full maturity in Christ. 
Through her work, whatever good is in the minds and hearts of men, whatever good lies latent in the religious practices and cultures of diverse peoples, is not only saved from destruction, but is also cleansed, raised up, and perfected unto the glory of God, which is the confusion of the devil and the happiness of man. The obligation of spreading the faith is imposed on every disciple of Christ according to his state. Although, however, all the faithful can baptize, the priest alone can complete the building up of the body in the Eucharistic sacrifice. Thus are fulfilled the words of God spoken through his prophet, From the rising of the sun until the going down thereof, my name is great among the Gentiles, and in every place a clean oblation is sacrificed and offered up in my name. In this way, the church both prays and labors in order that the entire world may become the people of God, the body of the Lord, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that in Christ, the head of all, all honor and glory may be rendered to the Creator and Father of the universe. Again, that is a passage from Lumen Gentium, and I'll let Jamie tell more of the story of how this and other moments of grace impacted her, and eventually carried her away from the sidelines of wondering and searching and waiting, and into the very heart of Christ and His Church. Today, I am joined by Jamie Stewart Wolf, who is an independent writer and editor based in Louisiana in the greater New Orleans area. Jamie, I'm just delighted to welcome you to Blazing the Trail. How are you today? I'm doing well, by grace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by God's grace. So, uh, Jamie, um, I would love if you could, could you share with us how the truth and love of Jesus Christ was shared with you? Well, it's kind of funny. I've, I've been a church bouncer through uh, through my youth and ended up being Catholic. My you know coming into the church my senior year of college, but before that I was in an evangelical setting, and before that I was an Episcopalian, and before oh, wow. that I was baptized into the Catholic Church. But it was the last time I ever saw the inside of one. Wow! Uh, so faith really came to me first. In the Episcopal Church on Sunday mornings, sitting backwards on the kneeler, reading the hymnal, Mm. and hearing the words of the Book of Common Prayer. And so it came to me really liturgically. And I I was an early reader, and I'd sit there, and I would read the lyrics to the hymns. Mm. And things in those hymns led me to understand that this wasn't just a Sunday morning thing. I mean, I was very young, but I, I still understood that when you read words like this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. There's a reason behind that. There's a story behind that. There's a compelling relationship behind that. And so that was really kind of the the beginning of faith for me was reading those words of the hymns. Um, My parents divorced. That was painful. I was bullied in school. That was painful. But uh, my mom and I went to a Billy Graham crusade. And I heard Billy Graham preach. I was about 12 at the time. And we went forward. Billy Graham was great because 
he was not a sheep stealer. He would send you back to the church you came from. And so we went and made an appointment with, you know, our Episcopal priest pastor, who probably didn't know much what to do with us, who were kind of saying, we want a personal relationship with Jesus. And we went forward at the crusade and, you know, all this. And this is the Northeastern Ohio and Cleveland area where I grew up. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, I actually had a, an older woman then begin to teach Bible instead of sort of the regular Sunday school. So okay. I and one other child at the time were, were starting to learn Bible things and she would have us memorize scripture. And she was, you know, she was very devoted to the Bible mm. and she would tell us stories about prayer being answered. And, and, you know, when her sister died and she had this experience of, of her sister's soul kind of leaving the body in the presence of the room and all of that. And, and it was all, um, it all rang very true. And I was a person, I was an only child, so I didn't have a lot of friends, uh, you know, not built in friends anyway. Um, and I would spend a lot of time alone. And I enjoyed that. Um, making up liturgies uh, in the woods, and, you know, yeah. being very connected to nature. So that's that's kind of the the incubator of of my faith. I've never been without God. I came close, mm. but I've never been without God. Um, wow, that's beautiful. He's just uh, been a presence in your life from the beginning, and it sounds, Jamie, like you came full circle. Mm-hmm. So baptized Catholic, and then coming really but- into back yeah. into the church. Can, can I ask what, w- were there any kind of defining moments? That- there were three defining moments really in, in a way, right? So when I went to a Catholic high school as a Protestant evangelical, that was a little interesting. Um, and it was at a time when religious orders were experiencing a lot of upheaval um, post-Vatican II. So I think I didn't fully appreciate that. I probably didn't appreciate it at all at the time being outside the Catholic church and not really understanding that. But we, um, I did realize that this faith that these, you know, that I was basically required to learn in religion classes, you know, was ancient and it was interesting, but it seemed very crusted, you know, encrusted with a lot of tradition that wasn't scripture and a lot of things that were a little, little strange. And, um, you know, and some of the attitudes were not great and, you know, and all of that. Right. So I came out of that school pretty anti-Catholic. But my junior year, two things happened. John Paul was elected Pope. And I saw I had the opportunity to see Mother Teresa at a college down the street from the high school I attended. Wow. This is before she won the Peace Prize. And um, so she was famous, but less so than she became um, shortly thereafter. And my mom and I went to see her. And, you know, the, the, it was, it was a lovely thing where she would speak and, you know, and the college there was doing everything they could to just, you know, honor her, which meant a full orchestra and, you know, everyone in academic robes and marching through the, the auditorium and procession. And at the end of this procession came this humble, tiny woman who just, humi- she was the portrait of humility. 
Now, at that point in my life, I was all about politics and power and, you know, exerting influence and building a resume and all that kind of stuff. And there she was, you know, doing things that nobody would ever want to do for people nobody ever wanted to be with. And she just shamed everyone in that room uh, by her humility. And that left a real impression on me. Then my first year of college, uh, up in the Boston area, right, John Paul showed up on Boston Common. Hmm. And I thought I would go and see him. I had two roommates. One was Catholic and one was also a Protestant. And the two Protestants went to go see the Pope and the Catholics stayed back. It was typical. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It was typical. So we got to to the Boston Common very early in the morning, like five o'clock in the morning. And we made a big sign that said Protestants for the Pope because we liked him. We thought he was cool. Sure. Um, And, you know, I'd been in college for something like three weeks um, and had no idea uh, what I was going to experience there. But what ended up happening was we saw, uh, I experienced a great witness to the reality of Christ's presence in the Eucharist. Wow. The rain was pouring down. It was icy October 1st. It was terrible weather. Anyone who was on that Boston Common that day will tell you how awful it was. But nobody left. Wow. They weren't going to receive communion from the Pope. They were just, you know, actually an army of priests came out to, you know, distribute Holy Communion. And I knew we couldn't receive, you know, we weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but we watched them. They had literally um, mud up to their knees on the albs they were wearing. Oh, my goodness. It was horrendous weather. And we were soaking wet. And yet what we saw was people standing in line shivering and freezing and not leaving. I mean, the Pope was done. His words, whatever they were, because, it, you know, it was always this, pretty much the same with John Paul, right? Be not afraid. Follow more deeply, right? All the same. But it was very oriented toward personal relationship with Christ, which also I did not expect because it's not what I encountered in Catholic high school. Um, but there they were waiting for this Eucharist that was something, had to be something more than just a symbol, which is, of course, what I thought it was. You know, my theology and ecclesiology was extremely shallow at the time. So three years later, after meeting, you know, after dating and meeting my my now husband and becoming engaged and all of that and kind of changing my whole life plan and, you know, all kinds of things, lots of transitions uh, in a pressure cooker environment, right? Yeah, yeah. I really came close to losing faith completely. I came back through the Episcopal Church because I couldn't find an evangelical church like the one I left at home. Yeah. Fast-growing, dynamic uh, preaching scripture and all of that. And, you know, and it was, it was uplifting, except that I noticed something. Mm-hmm. The first college class I sat in as a freshman was, you know, dreaded Act 10, right? With hundreds of students there. And the lecturer gets up and he starts speaking. 
And a voice came to my head and said this, this is what you've been doing Sunday mornings. So I think those three things, right? Um, John Paul, Mother Teresa, and this notion that somehow my Sunday mornings weren't what they were meant to be. Mm. Mm. Um, led me out of where I was. But it took really kind of a faith crisis to sort of realize that maybe my home was in this Catholic church that I wasn't even sure was Christian at the time, you know? Wow. Wow. And so, uh, and, and you said it was your senior year of college. Senior right? year of college. Yeah. Senior year of college. I basically had a faith crisis. My, uh, my then fiance's roommate, I, don't, I have no idea why he invited me to mass and I have no idea why I went. Right. But I went to a five o'clock mass in the basement of St. Paul's in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Eucharist was being distributed, I just sat there and cried. Wow. Yeah. Because I wanted that. And I wasn't even really sure why. Right. Um, and at the end of that mass, you know, the announcement was made. We're going to have a series of talks, you know, basic belief. Um, and the first one's going to be on Eucharist. And I decided I would go. So the funny thing is, of course, I was not going to go to learn anything. I was going to go to question Catholic teaching on Eucharist. So I went, I heard the presentation, which was completely scripturally based. Shocked, that shocked me. And then I went up to the end, you know, at the end, and I... I had nothing I could disagree with in this presentation. And so that that was, I wasn't sure what to do with that. And it was pretty much a homeless Christian at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Episcopal Church was lovely liturgically. Right, right. But it was really a mess when it came down to, you know, some bishops questioning things like the virgin birth of Christ and, right. you know, in this conversation about ordaining women priests. And, you know, it just went on and on. So it was a falling away time of the uh, for the right. Episcopal Church away from from centuries old traditions sure. and, and, you know, and all of that. But I went up to him and I said, I want to make peace with your church. Wow. Because I think I've just kind of been wrong. And I think you really are Christians and you really are following Christ. But that's not the impression I've had for a while. And so I just want to make peace. And he said, so how serious are you? And I said, I'm very serious. So we made an appointment. But when I went there, he asked, you know, what was going on? Because obviously there was some kind of pastoral thing going on there. Right, right. And uh, I said, look, I'm so tired. I've read my way out of my church, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of philosophy, a lot of, you know, history, a lot of things like that, that can become very exhausting and very confusing. Right. And... um you know, I was doing a thesis on Machiavellian Nietzsche and I was all into political philosophy and, you know, whatever. And uh, and I said, I'm not sure that there's any difference 
between Jesus and Buddha and Homer and, you know, and all of these people. And in that moment, he was very inspired. He went to his wall. He took the crucifix down off the wall and he laid it in front of me. And he said, I want you to tell me that this doesn't mean more to you than Homer and Aristotle and Plato and Nietzsche and Buddha and Muhammad and all the rest. Right. And in that moment, I just, there was no, I just broke down. Wow. I felt at the time, like I was on a cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, looking into this abyss that I couldn't cross. It was too big to cross. It was too deep to jump. Um, and I needed to be carried over it. And in that moment, I think that priest really did that. Um, or just opened the door to grace. So he said, how serious are you about making peace? And I said, I'm very, I'm, I'm still serious. He said, are you willing to read? I'm like, well, I'm kind of a student here and I do a lot of reading. You do, yeah. So sure, I'll read. So he handed me a copy of the Vatican II documents and instructed me to read Lumen Gentium, mm. Dogmatic Constitution on the Church. And I went home to my dorm room and I would always have this ritual of turning off all the lights except for a high intensity bulb because otherwise I'd start cleaning and, and doing all kinds of everything but studying. And instead of doing the work I should have done, I opened up to Lumen Gentium and I read those 40 pages. Wow. And at the end of those 40 pages, convinced that the voice I was hearing there was the same voice that I heard in the scriptures. I knew I wasn't a Protestant anymore. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful, Jamie. Wow. So then it was RCIA and, you know, coming into the church and whatever else. So, I mean, it's, I think God will use, God speaks to us in a language that we understand and he'll use whatever it is. He'll use a vision. He'll use a dream. He'll use a road sign. He'll use a, a person. He'll use a book. He'll use a, a piece of music. He'll use everything. He'll yeah. use creation to yeah. reach us, to reach us. And it, it also, I, I hear too a theme and, and Pope Francis likes to talk a lot about this, about God being a God of surprises Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it seems that a few moments in your life and in this story, there was just there was something surprising that happened that you didn't quite predict the the movement of God. You're like, hold on, this is leading me in a way that I could not have possibly anticipated. Correct. Yeah, and and that it's, can be that can be quite terrifying sometimes. <laughs> it can be terrifying because I think I think for some people, the the frightening part of faith is this. Am I someday going to wake up some morning and not even recognize the person I see in the mirror? Yeah. And if that happens, how do I feel about that? Mm. Am I willing for that to happen? Is the person I'm going to see the person I was meant to be? Or is the person I'm going to see somebody foreign and strange and, and you know, somebody I don't want to be? Right. Yeah. And yet God doesn't do that to us. We're the same people. He just purifies. He just perfects. He just works. And it takes a long time. It does. It does indeed. And, and, you know, Jamie, we've, we've got a couple, a couple minutes left and I'm wondering, I'm, you know, there might be those who are tuning in 
who might also be right on that edge. I think you described it as being like on the edge of a cliff. Mm -hmm. What might you share with them if if they find themselves in that kind of moment? What, What would you share with them to encourage them along the way? Take a step off the cliff. And you'll find that you won't hit the bottom. You'll fly. Mm. He's there. You'll walk right across his hands. You'll walk right across. You'll walk across air the way Peter walked on the water. Mm. You'll walk that way. And that there's a plan for you that is so much more beautiful and so much more exciting and so much more amazing than anything you can possibly conceive of. So again, step forward in faith, in trust. God is bigger than you can even imagine. He's much bigger than how you think of him, whatever that is. And whatever you think God is to you, he's a healer or he's a teacher or he's a savior or he's whatever he is. He's more than that. And he wants to be more than that for every person. He wants to be everything for us. And he can be if we allow that. But it's it's all a matter of surrendering. It's all a matter of trust. Oh, what a wonderful note to end on, Jamie. Thank you so much for your time today. I just ask that God continue to bless you, your family, and uh, all the good work that you're doing to build up the kingdom of God. Well, we hope so, right? (laughs) We hope we're not in the way. That's the real thing, right? We don't get in the way. Let's not get in the way. All right. Well, God bless you, Jamie. Take care. You take care too. Jamie mentioned that she had a sense early on that the words of the liturgy were pointing her towards a compelling relationship. There was something more waiting for her behind those prayers and those songs. And thanks be to God, she was able to discover who indeed was waiting for her behind those words. And ultimately, behind the appearance of bread and wine, His real presence in the Holy Eucharist. And as she explains, one of the key figures who helped her discover this God who so loved her was Mother Teresa. Certainly, she's someone who has inspired so many souls and has encouraged them to take to heart the call of Christ. So I wanted to wrap up this episode with some wisdom from Mother Teresa, who once wrote, Do not imagine that love to be true must be extraordinary. No, what we need in our love is the continuity to love the one we love. See how a lamp burns by the continual consumption of the little drops of oil. If there are no more of these drops in the lamp, there will be no light, and the bridegroom has a right to say, I do not know you. My children, what are these drops of oil in our lamps? They are the little things of everyday life, fidelity, punctuality, little words of kindness, just a little thought for others, those little acts of silence, of look and thought, of word and deed. These are the very drops of love that make our religious life burn with so much light. Again, that's from Mother Teresa. And my prayer for you this week is that you find ways to keep that lamp of faith and love burning in your own life. We all know that this world needs more light. And every day offers us the chance, even if it's a small one, to do our part to keep that light of Christ shining brightly. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue on this adventure of spreading the good news of what God has done and is still doing in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.